Chapter Fifteen, Part One of Marie Antoinette and Her Son by Louise Malbach. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maggie Travers in Columbia, Tennessee. Chapter Fifteen, Part One. Mama Queen. Everything passes over. Everything has an end. One must only have the courage and think of that," said Marie Antoinette with a gentle smile as on the morning after her arrival in Paris. She had arisen from her bed and drunk her chocolate in the improvised sitting-room. "'Here we are, installed in the Tuileries, and have slept, while we yesterday were thinking we were lost, and only that death could give us rest and peace again.' "'It was a fearful day,' said Madame de Champagne with a sigh. "'But your Majesty went through it like a heroine.' Ah, oh, Champagne, said the queen sadly, I have not the ambition to want to be a heroine, and I should be very thankful if it were allowed me from this time on to be a wife and mother, if it's no longer allowed me to be a queen. At this instant the door opened, the little dauphin, followed by his teacher, the Abbe de Vaux, ran in and flew with extended arms to Marie Antoinette. Oh, Mamma Queen! cried he with whining voice. Let us go back again to our beautiful palace. It is dreadful here in this great dark house. Hush, my child, hush, said the queen, pressing the boy close to her. You must not say so. You must accustom yourself to be contented everywhere. Mamma queen, whispered the child, tenderly nestling close to his mother. It is true, it is dreadful here. "'but I will always say it is so low "'that nobody except you can hear. "'But tell me, who owns this hateful house, "'and why do we want to stay here "'when we have such a fine palace "'and a beautiful garden in Versailles?' "'My son,' answered the queen with a sigh, "'this house belongs to us, "'and it is a beautiful and famous palace. "'You ought not to say that it does not please you, for your renowned great-grandfather, the great Louis the Fourteenth, lived here and made this palace celebrated all over Europe. Yet I wish that we were away from here, whispered the Dauphin, casting his large blue eyes with a prolonged and timid glance through the wide desolate room, which was decorated sparingly with old-fashioned faded furniture. I wish so too, sighed Marie Antoinette to herself. But softly as she had spoken the words, the sensitive ear of the child had caught them. "'You too want to go?' asked Louis Charles in amazement. "'Are you not queen now, and can you not do what you want to?' The queen, pierced to the very heart by the innocent question of the child, burst into tears. "'My prince,' said the abbe de Vaux, turning to the dauphin, you see that you trouble the queen, and her majesty needs rest. Come, we will take a walk. But Marie Antoinette put both her arms around the child and pressed its head with its light locks to her breast. No, she said. No, he does not trouble me. Let me weep. Tears do me good. One is only unfortunate when she can no longer weep. When... But what is that? she eagerly asked, rising from her easy chair. What does that noise mean? 
and in very fact in the street there were loud shouting and crying and intermingled curses and threats. "'Mamma!' cried the dolphin, nestling close to the queen. "'Is today going to be just like yesterday?' The door was hastily opened, and the king entered. "'Sire,' asked Marie, eagerly advancing toward him, "'are they going to renew the dreadful scenes of yesterday?' "'On the contrary, Marie, they are going to bring to their reckoning those who occasioned the scenes of yesterday,' answered the king. A deputation from the court of Châtelet have come to the Tuileries, and desire of me an authorization to bring to trial those who were guilty, and of you any information which you can give about what has taken place. The mob have accompanied the deputation hither, and hence arise these cries. I am come to ask you, Marie, to receive the deputation of Châtelet. As if there were any choice left to us to refuse to see them answered Marie Antoinette, sighing. The populace who are howling and crying without are now the master of the men who come to us with a sneer, and ask us whether we will grant them an audience. We must submit. The king did not answer, but shrugged his shoulders and opened the door of the antechamber. Let them enter, he said to the chamberlains there. The two folding doors were now thrown open, and the loud voice of an officer announced, the Honorable Judges of Châtelet. Slowly, with respectful mien and bowed head, the gentlemen, arrayed in their long black robes, entered the room and remained humbly standing near the door. Marie Antoinette had advanced a few steps. Not a trace of grief and disquiet was longer seen on her face. Her figure was erect, her glance was proud and full of fire, and the expression of her countenance noble and majestic. She was still the queen, though not surrounded by the solemn pomp which attended the public audiences at Versailles. She did not stand on the purple-carpeted step of the throne. No gold-embroidered canopy arched over her. No crowd of brilliant courtiers surrounded her. Only her husband stood near her. Her son clung to her side, and his teacher, the Abbe de Vol, timidly withdrew into the background. These formed all her suite. But Marie Antoinette did not need external pomp to be a queen. She was so in her bearing, in every look, in every gesture. With commanding dignity she allowed the deputation to approach her and to speak with her. She listened with calm attention to the words of the speaker, who, in the name of the court, gave utterance to the deep horror of which the treasonable actions of the day before had filled him. He then humbly begged the queen to give such names as the rioters as might be known to her, that they might be arrested. But Marie Antoinette interrupted him in his address. "'No, sir,' she cried. "'No, never will I be an informer against the subjects of the king.' The speaker bowed respectfully. "'Then let me at least beg of you, in the name of the High Court of the Châtelet, to give us your order to bring the guilty parties to trial.' for without such a charge we cannot prosecute the criminals who have been engaged in these acts. "'Nor do I wish to you to bring any one to trial,' cried the Queen with dignity. "'I have seen all, known all, and forgotten all. Go, gentlemen, go. My heart knows no vengeance, and it has forgiven all those who have wounded me. Go!' With a commanding gesture of her hand, and a gentle nod of her head, she dismissed the deputation who silently withdrew. 
"'Marie!' said the king, grasping the hand of his wife with unwanton eagerness, and pressing it tenderly to his lips. "'Marie, I thank you in the name of all of my subjects. You have acted this hour not only as a queen, but as the mother of my people.' "'Ah, sir,' replied the queen with a sad smile, "'only that the children will not believe in the love of their mother.' only that your subjects do not consider me their mother, but their enemy. They have been misguided, said the king. Evil-minded men have deceived them, but I hope we shall succeed in bringing the people back from their error. Sire, sighed Marie Antoinette, I hope for nothing more, but, added she with still firmer voice, I also fear nothing more. The worst may break over me, it shall find me armed. The side door now opened, and Madame de Champon entered. Your Majesty, she said, bowing low, a great number of ladies from the Faubourg Saint-Germain are in the small reception room. They wish to testily their devotion to your Majesty. I will receive them at once, cried Marie Antoinette with an almost joyful tone. Ah, only see, husband, the consolations which misfortune brings. These ladies of the Faubourg Saint-Germain formerly cut me. They could not forget that I was an Austrian. Today they feel that I am the Queen of France, and that I belong to them. Pardon me, sire, for leaving you. She hastened away with a rapid step. The king looked after her with an expression of pain. Poor queen, he whispered to himself. How much she is misjudged! How wrongly she is calumniated, and I cannot change it, and must let it be. He sank with a deep sigh, which seemed much like a groan, into an armchair, and was lost in painful recollections. A gentle touch on his hand, which rested on the side arm of the chair, restored him to consciousness. Before him stood the dauphin, and looked gravely and thoughtfully out of his large blue eyes, up into his father's face. "'Ah, it is you, my little Louis Charles,' said the king, nodding to him. "'What do you want of me, my child?' "'Papa King,' answered the boy timidly, "'I should like to ask you something, something really serious.' "'Something really serious,' replied the king. "'Well, what is it? Let me hear.' "'Sire?' replied the dauphin with a weighty and thoughtful air. Sire, Madame de Trouzel has always told me that I must love the people of France very much and treat everyone very friendly, because the people of France love my papa and my mamma so much, and I ought to be very grateful for it. How comes it then, sire, that the French people are now so bad to you, and that they do not love mamma any longer? What have you both done to make the people so angry? Because I have been told that the people are subject to your majesty, and that they owe you obedience and respect. But they were not obedient yesterday, and not at all respectful. Your subjects were they. How is this, Papa? The king drew the little prince to his knee, and put his arm around the slight form of the boy. I will explain it to you, my son he said, and listen carefully to what I say to you. I will, sire, said, answered the boy eagerly. 
I at least am an obedient subject of my king, for the Abbe de Vaux has told me that I am nothing but a subject of your majesty, and that, as a son and a subject, I must give a good example to the French people how to love and obey the king. And I love you very much, Papa, and I am just as obedient as I can be. But it seems as though my good example has made no difference with the other subjects. How comes that about, Papa King? My son, answered Louis, that comes because there are bad men who have told the people that I do not love them. We have had to have great wars, and wars cost a deal of money. And so I asked money of my people, just as my ancestors always did. But, Papa, cried the Dauphine, why did you do that? Why did you not take my purse and pay out of that? You know that I receive every day my purse all filled with new francs, and... But then, he interrupted himself, there would be nothing left for the poor children to whom I always give money on my walks. And, oh, there are so many poor children, so very many, that my purse is empty every day when I return from my walk, and yet I give to each child only one poor franc piece. So your people have money, more money than you yourself? My child, kings receive all that they have from their people, but they give it all back to the people again. The king is the one appointed by God to govern his people, and the people owe respect and obedience to the king and have to pay taxes to him. And so, if he needs money, he is justified in asking his subjects for it, and so does what is called laying taxes upon them. Do you understand me? Oh, yes, Papa, cried the child, who had listened with open eyes and breathless attention. I understand all very well but i don't like it it seems to me that if a man is king everything belongs to him and that the king ought to have all the money so as to give it to the people they ought to ask him and not he them in former and more happy times it was so said the king with a sigh but many kings have misused their power and authority, and now the king cannot pay out money unless the people understand all about it and consent. Have you given out money, Papa, without asking the people's leave? Was that the reason they came to Versailles yesterday and were so wicked? Ah, so very wicked? For those bad men, they were the people, were they not? No, my son answered louis i hope they were not the people the people cannot come to me in such great masses they must have their representatives the representatives of the people i have myself called to me they are the states general which i assembled at versailles i asked of them money for the outlays which i had to make for the people but they asked things of me that i could not grant either for my own sake or for yours my son who are some day to be my successor. Then wicked men came and stirred up the people and told them that I did not love the people any more and that I wanted to trouble my subjects. 
and the poor people that believed what these evil advisers and slanderers have told them, and have been led astray into making the riot against me. But everything will come out right again, and my subjects will see that I love them, and am ready to share everything with them. That is the reason I have come to Perry, to live here among my people. It is certainly not so pleasant as in Versailles. Our rooms are not so fine and convenient, and we do not have the beautiful gardens here that we have there. But we must learn to be contented here, and put up with what we have. We must remember that there is no one in Paris better than we, and that the Parisians must acknowledge that the king loves them, for he has given up his beautiful Versailles in order to live with them and share all their need, and all the disagreeable things which they have to bear. Papa King, I have understood everything, and I am very much ashamed that I have complained before. I promise you, sire, he continued with earnest mien, and laying his hand upon his breast. Yes, sire, I promise you that I will take pains to give the people a good example, and to be really good and kind. I will never complain again that we are living in Paris, and I will take pains to be happy and contented here. And the Dauphin kept his word. He took pains to be contented. He said not another word about the old pleasant life at Versailles, but appeared to have forgotten all about ever having been anywhere but in this great desolate palace, with its high walls filled with faded tapestry, stately solemn furniture, their golden ornaments having grown dim, and their upholstery hard. He seemed never to have known any garden but this, only one little corner of which was set apart for the royal family, and through the iron gate of which threatening words were often heard and spiteful faces seen. One day, when the Dauphin heard such words and saw such faces beyond the paling, he shrank back and ran to his mother, earnestly imploring her with trembling voice to leave the garden and go into the palace. But Marie Antoinette led him farther into the garden, instead of complying with his wish. In the little pavilion which stood at the corner of the enclosure on the side of the quay, she sat down, and lifting her boy up in her arms, set him before her on the marble table, wiped away his tears with her handkerchief, and tenderly implored him not to weep or feel badly any more. "'If you weep, my child,' she said sadly as the dauphin could not control his tears if you weep i shall have no courage left and it will be as dark and dreary to me as if the sun had gone down if you weep i should want to weep with you and you see my son that it would not be becoming for a queen to weep the wicked people who want to hurt our feelings they find pleasure in it and therefore we must be altogether too proud to let them see what we suffer. I have this pride, but when I see you suffer, it takes away all my strength. You remember our ride from Versailles here, my son, how the bad men who surrounded us mocked at me and said foul things to me. I was cold and calm, but I could not help weeping, my child, when you complained of being hungry. Mama! cried the child with flashing eyes. I will never complain again, and the bad men shall never have the pleasure of seeing me weep. But good men, my child, 
you must always treat kindly and behave very prettily to them. I will do so, answered the dolphin thoughtfully. But, Mamma Queen, tell me who the good men are. You must believe, Louis, that all men are good, and therefore you must be kind to all. If they despise your goodness or friendliness and cast it from them, it will not be your fault, and our Heavenly Father and your parents will be pleased with you. But, Mamma, cried the prince, and a shadow passed over his pure, beautiful child's face. But, Mamma, I cannot see that all men are good. When they were abusing us and cursing us and speaking bad words at us in the carriage and were talking so angrily at you, dear Mamma, the men were not good, and I could never treat them friendly if they should come again. They will not come again, Louis. No, we will hope that the bad men will not come again, and that those who come to see us here are good men. So be very kind and polite to everybody, that all may love you, and see that their future king is good and polite, even while a child. Good? cried the boy spiritedly. I will be good and polite to everybody, that you may be satisfied with me. Yes, just for that will I be so. Marie Antoinette pressed the pretty boy to herself and kissed his lips. Just then an officer entered and announced, General Lafayette and Bailey, the mayor of Paris. Mama, whispered the prince as the two gentlemen entered. Mama, that is the general that was at Versailles then. I can never be kind to him, for he belongs to the bad men. Hush, my child, hush, whispered the queen. For God's sake, do not let anybody hear that. No, no. General Lafayette does not belong to our enemies. He means well towards us. Treat him kindly, very kindly, my child. And Marie Antoinette took her son by the hand, and with a smile upon her lips went to meet the two gentlemen, in order to inquire the reason for their appearing at this unwanted time and place. Madame, said General Lafayette, I have come to ask your majesty whether you will not have the goodness to let me know the hours in which you may wish to visit the park and the garden, that I may make my arrangements accordingly. That means, General, cried the Queen, that it is not to depend upon my free will when and at what times I am to walk in the park, but it will be allowed me only at certain hours, just as prisoners are allowed to take their walks at certain hours. I beg your pardon, Madame, said the General with great respect. Your Majesty will graciously believe that to me the peace and security of your exalted person is sacred above everything, and that I regard it as my first duty to protect you against every insult and everything that may be disagreeable. And so it has come to that, cried Marie Antoinette angrily. The Queen of France must be protected against insults and disagreeable things. She is not to go out when she will into her park, because she has to fear that, if General Lafayette has not previously made his special preparations, the people will insult her. But if this is so, sir, why do you not close the gates of the park? It is royal property, and it probably will be allowed to the king to defend his private property from the brutality of the rabble. I will myself, General, see to it that I be protected from insults, 
and that at any time, when it pleases me, I may go into the park and the inner gardens. I will ask His Majesty the King to allow the gates of the park and the promenade on the quay to be closed. That will close everything, and we shall at least gain the freedom thereby of being able to take walks at any time, without first sending information to General Lafayette. Madame, I expected that you would answer me so, said Lafayette sadly, and I have therefore brought Monsieur de Ballet with me, that he might join me in supplicating your majesty to graciously abstain from taking measures of violence, and not to further stir up the feelings of the people, already so exasperated. And so you are of this opinion, sir, asked Marie Antoinette, turning to Monsieur Ballet. You, too, regard it as a compulsory measure for the king to claim his own right and to keep out of his property those who insult him. Your Majesty, the king is, unfortunately, not free to make use of this right, as you call it. You will not say, sir, that if it pleases the king not to allow evil-disposed persons to enter the park of the Tuileries, he has not the right to close the gates? Madame, I must indeed take the privilege of saying so, answered Monsieur de Bailly, with a gentle obeisance. King Henry the Fourth gave the Parisians the perpetual privilege of having the park of the Tuileries open to them always, and free to be used in their walks. The palace of the Tuileries was, as your majesty knows, originally built by Queen Catherine de Medici, after the death of her husband, from the home of her widowhood. All sorts of stories were then current about the uncanny things which were said to occur in the park of the Tuileries. They told all about laboratories in which Queen Catherine prepared her poisons, of a pavilion in which there was a martyr's chamber, of subterranean cells for those who had been buried alive, and all these dreadful stories made such an impression that no one dared approach the place of horrors after sunset. But when Queen Catherine had left Paris and King Henry the Fourth resided in the Louvre, he had this dreaded Tuileries garden, with all its horrors, open to the Parisians, and out of the Queen's garden he made one for the people, in order that the curse which rested upon it might be changed into a blessing. And now you suppose, Mr. Mayor, that it would change the blessing into a curse again if we should want to close the gates the King Henry the Fourth opened. I do fear it, madame, and therefore venture to ask that the right to enter the Tuileries gardens may not be taken from the people, nor their enjoyment interfered with. Not the people's enjoyment, only ours, is to be interfered with, cried Marie Antoinette bitterly. They are doubtless right to call the people now the real king of France, but they forget that this new king has usurped the throne only by treachery, rebellion, and murder, and that the wrath of God and the justice of man will one day hurl him down into the dust at our feet. In this day I hope, and until then I will bear in patience and with unshaken courage what fate may lay upon me. The wickedness and brutality of men shall at least not intimidate me, and fear shall not humiliate me to the state of a prisoner who takes her walks under the protection of monsieur de lafayette the general of the people at appointed hours your majesty cried lafayette turning pale what is your pleasure interrupted the queen with a proud movement of her head 
you were a gentleman and knew the customs and mode of our court before you went to america has the want of manners there so disturbed your memory that you do not know that it is not permitted to speak in the presence of the queen without being asked or permitted by her to do so general cried the dauphin at this instant with loud eager voice running forward to lafayette and extending to him his little hand general i should like to salute you mamma told me that i must be kind to all those who are good to us and love us and just as you were coming in with this gentleman mamma told me that general lafayette does not belong to our enemies but means well to us let me therefore greet you kindly and give you my hand and while saying so and smiling kindly at the general he raised his great blue eyes to the face of his mother an instant with a supplicatory expression lafayette took the extended hand of the prince and a flush of deep emotion passed over his face that was just before kindling with anger as if touched with reverence and astonishment he bent his knee before this child whose countenance beamed with innocence love and goodness and pressed to his lips the little hand that rested in his own my prince said he deeply moved you have just spoken to me with the tongue of an angel and i swear to you and to your exalted royal mother that i will never forget this moment that i will remember it so long as i live the kiss which i have impressed upon the hand of my future king is at once the seal of the solemn vow and the oath of unchangeable fidelity and devotion which i consecrate to my king and to the whole royal family and in which nothing shall make me wave nothing not even the anger and the want of favor of my exalted queen dauphin of france you have to-day gained a soldier for your throne who is prepared to shed his last drop of blood for you and your house and on whose fidelity and devotion you may continually count with tears in his eyes his brave noble face quivering with emotion lafayette looked at the child that with cheeks all aglow and with a pleasant smile was gazing with great thoughtful child's eyes up to the strong man who placed himself so humbly and devotedly at his feet behind him stood monsieur de belly with bended head and folded hands listening with solemn thoughtfulness to the words of the general upon whose strong shoulders the fate of the monarchy rested and who at this time was the mightiest and most conspicuous man in france because of the national guard of paris was still obedient to him and followed his commands close by the dauphine stood the queen in her old proud attitude but upon her face a striking change had taken place the expression of anger and suspicion which had it before displayed had not completely disappeared the cloud which had gathered upon her lofty forehead was dissipated and her face shone out bright and clear the large grayish-blue eyes which before had shot angry darts now glowed with mild fire and around her lips played an instant that fair pleasant smile which in her happier days had often moved the favorites of the queen to verses of praise and which her enemies had so often made a reproach to her End of chapter 15 part 1 recording by maggie travers in columbia tennessee